I, I am here. Oh, there you are. Sorry, I didn't yeah. see you. I didn't scroll down enough on my list. Sorry. Recording in progress. Okay, we have a quorum. All right, are we ready? We're all recording and everything. We're good. Um, okay. Um, I am Vice Mayor Courtney Shipley. I want to invite everyone to the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Organization Policy Board meeting for Thursday, October 21st, 2021. Um, and I think first Ashley Breyers is gonna explain to us our um, behavior for this meeting. Thank you. I am Ashley Breyers, Transportation Planner. Good afternoon and welcome to this meeting. Uh, Jessica Mortinger is in the City Commission room and she'll be helping me and Courtney Shipley, who's the chair, go through the proceedings of this meeting. Currently I have everyone muted so we can talk through the general ground rules for today's meeting. The meeting is being recorded and broadcast live on the city's YouTube channel. During the meeting, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found on the lower left-hand corner of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. This will make it easier for everyone to hear the meeting. Just remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. In the menu, you can also turn your camera on and off by clicking on the video icon located next to the microphone icon. For the purpose of this public meeting, please keep your video on for the duration. If you're participating by phone, you can enter star six to mute and unmute your phone. Somewhere on your Zoom screen, you will also see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker, gallery view tiles all the meeting participants. As a few reminders to ensure that the provisions of the Kansas Open Meetings Act are met, as participants, you must state your name and title each time you speak. And um, if we had anybody sign up to speak or any public comments, which no one signed up prior to the meeting, uh, we would want them to say their name after we call on them. And Jessica, we don't have anybody in the commission room, right? Um, so we'll check that later also. And then the Courtney will see if there's any in-person comment. All motions will need to be stated clearly. And after a motion is made and seconded, uh, Jessica will call on each member individually to provide their vote. Jessica will then announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. I want to again remind everyone to please mute yourself when you're not speaking and I'll turn the meeting back over to Courtney, who's the chair. Thank you. Um, thank you, um, Vice Mayor Shipley. Um, so do we need to do roll call at this time? We can do roll call at this time. We'll do that in alphabetical order by last name. Um, this is Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. Carter? Here. Finkeldye? Here. Kelly? Here. Messina? Here. Shanklin? Here. And Shipley? Here. We have six out of our seven members today present. Okay, is there any other order of business I'm forgetting before we move to public comment? No, okay. <laughs> Let's move on to public comment. It looked like there was no one there in the audience, but I'll check again. No one. Is there anyone online who would like to make general public comment not about the items that are on our regular agenda? Yeah, I'm not seeing anyone. I'm getting the no from Ashley and Jessica. Um, so I think that means we can uh, move on to approve the minutes for August 19th, 2021. Do I have any motions to accept or any concerns about what was read within the document? Motion to approve last meeting minutes. Mayor Finkel, I second. 
Vice Mayor Shipley, um, I see a first and a second to um, approve these minutes. Um, can Jessica or Ashley do the roll for me? Yeah, Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager by last name. We'll do roll call. Carter? Yes. Finkeldye? Yes. Kelly? Abstain. Messina? Yes. Shanklin? Yes. Shipley? Yes. Um, motion carries five to zero with one abstention. Very good. Thank you, um, everyone. And thank you, Jessica. So I think now we can move on to our regular agenda items. Uh, number one is the federal fiscal year 2021-2024 transportation improvement program amendment number four. And I think Ashley is going to do this for us. Yes, thank you. I'm Ashley Byers, transportation planner. I'm going to share my screen. As we've talked about before, the Transportation Improvement Program, or TIP, is the short-range list of projects that are being implemented in Lawrence Douglas County that are derived basically from the Long-Range Transportation Plan, Transportation 2040. So this is the implementation document of Transportation 2040. And any projects that are federally funded or state funded or regionally significant are included in this document before they can move forward. And we completely redo this plan every two years and then we do quarterly amendments. And so this is our fourth amendment. And we added in two new projects, this 11th Street and Louisiana Street reconstructions and then a Massachusetts Street 14th to 23rd multimodal improvements. We also revised a bunch of other projects to make them be more accurate because things have changed since they were put in the plan. Also, two projects are being removed through this TIP amendment. We typically don't remove projects. Like once they're completed, they just stay in the TIP until we remove them when we update the TIP. But two projects were no longer funded in the City of Lawrence's capital improvement plan. And that is the Walker Rusa Drive, 6th Street to Walker uh, Harvard Road, sorry. And then also this 27th Street Bridge project. And then all these other ones were just revised. And one thing that's interesting is this traffic signal coordination study. The phase two was added in. And so the first phase did about 47% of all the traffic signals in the city. And so this next one will do roughly about the same. And we'll look at the timings and the crossing times for vehicles and pedestrians. We had this out for 15 day public comment period. We did not receive any public comments. I can answer any questions you have. Um, I'll stop sharing my screen to do that. Thank you. Vice Mayor Shibley, you answered a question that I was going to ask, which was about the um, the Wakarusa's, uh, let's see, sixth to Harvard. Just want to clarify, my recollection was that it's still in our CIP list, but not funded or it's in a far off, far enough off year that it's not included here. And I do recall that they had done um, a patch up 
work on that um, maybe prior that will last longer maybe than was anticipated. Does anybody remember the details of that better than I do? Jessica Moore, uh, transportation planning manager. I, yes, I believe that's the case. It got pushed out in a further year in the CIP that's not included in this TIP year because there was a mill and overlay that addressed some of the uh, immediate concerns at that location of the pavement condition. Um, Vice Mayor Shipley, I also watched um, the multimodal. Um, uh, they were given a presentation on the reconstruction um, from research to 23rd, I believe. And I don't think all of those design details are ironed out. Um, what does it, can you help me make sure I understand what it means when we say yes to this, um, that that doesn't mean that we're saying yes to whatever the ultimate designs are um, for these kinds of projects? Yeah, Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. So these are a listing of projects. Oftentimes we're approving them in concept. So um, the uh, funding has been uh, committed to them and we want obligation of funding to happen if they're regionally significant. Um, the design details oftentimes will note in the specific listing if it includes like in general bicycle and pedestrian amenities are planned, but all of the final design details often fall to the local project sponsor and the governing body to approve those um, as they get through process before design or as design is happening before construction begins. And so our body doesn't look at, um, in context, we have things in the plan where we've asked project sponsors when they're considering programming a project and considering the scale of the budget to make sure that they're thinking multimodally about elements, but the specific design of those elements is a, lo is a local decision. Um, it's not on this amendment list, but I did want to bring it up because, um, well, we've talked about it before and it's come up. I don't think it's exactly this 27th Street Bridge. I think that's must be something else, but, um, the KDOT project, which, um, regards SLT Wakarusa and 27th, um, there's some, and it's mentioned in the whole document, not in your amendment here specifically, but, um, um, as you just clarified, putting something on this list means that it will be worked on, not necessarily um, what the ultimate design guideline is. So if I were a complete novice to this, which I'm not, it's not my first tip, but uh, if I was a, a person who just read my first tip ever, um, I might look at it with an eye of suspicion if I know at the beginning, I, I don't know what the ultimate design is and I may not like the ultimate design. So um, I, I just wanna make sure from the position of um, someone who needs to vote for it, am I, if, if the ultimate design ends up being unsatisfactory and I'm one person in a chain of decision makers who's led to an unsatisfactory design, or even one that might be more dangerous than what it is now. Um, how can I um, maintain my confidence in this system um, that uh, is designed to lead to safer um, 
solutions to transportation problems? I know that's a broad question, but I also know you're the lady who can answer it for me. <laughs> so Jessica Mortinger, transportation planning manager. So in the case of that, the specific project of K-10 in relationship to 27th and Walkers, and you're right, that 27th Street extension was the Dog Park Road project that has gotten removed that had previous funding allocated, so not tied to the interchange at K-10. And um, we'll point a little bit to Matt in a second. And Madam Messina, I'll give you the opportunity to add on to this question about the KDOT sponsored project. Um, that project's currently in the EIS process, the environmental impact statement process um, for, for the consideration of the expansion, capacity expansion of the lanes of K-10. And that includes all of the interchange designs and the studying in terms of uh, where boarding and alighting is gonna happen on, on that um, on the highway. And so the design oftentimes in that process is the negotiation and consideration of the project sponsor. In this case, it happens to be the Kansas Department of Transportation through that EIS process to select the preferred design alternative in that conversation and process for design. And so while not having a project in the tip can hold up a project to um, not be able to obligate funding, oftentimes it is, a, it is a mechanism that could be used. It's not necessarily the appropriate mechanism um, because the project is consistent. This document is looking for consistency in our long range plan and looking at fiscal reality of the sense that one, is it planned in our plan in concept, meaning it's justified with the need based on the demand that's identified in the plan to have an interchange access um, and you know, the, with the capacity need for widening the roadway. And so the plan brings that justification. It also brings a lot of additional concepts that we would ask project sponsors to consider in terms of bicycle and pedestrian amenities or other crossings in high level concept. Um, and so a lot of that then has to, what we're looking for in this document is what is what is being proposed at this time in terms of budget? Is it realistic that the revenue can reasonably be available to program into this document, which is more of a financial forecast document um, and that it does look at a really high level to say, yes, have they committed to having bike pet elements or have they committed to, you know, to some really high level uh, elements, but it's not to say this this specific design that's being in the works because it's still not determined. I mean, there's that's still in the process of the final EIS and the, in the public comment period is almost completing or still completing, but this document doesn't necessarily dictate. It dictates that funding can be available. It doesn't have a design tied to it. So that is a separate process. And this one, they they must have it in here to get funding obligated for it, but that's not necessarily tied to design. So the conversation about design oftentimes, um, depending on projects and what gets budgeted and asked, is a conversation and decision making by the project sponsor, in this case, the Kansas Department of Transportation, and sometimes either in this case, the city or the county, if they're asking for financial contributions for those projects. So in the example of the 6th Street, 6th and K-10 interchange, there's the financial contribution uh, being made and Bob, the Bob Billings interchange was the same way where there was a financial contribution on the behalf of the city and county. And so there was additional agreements made um, as part of that design. But I can let Matt speak to a little more of that design process and where they're at, or if you have any other questions specific to the design being proposed as the preferred alternative. Um, 
we can have a conversation about that. Yeah, thanks, Jessica, Matt, Messina, KDOT. Um, there really isn't much to add, but I would try to pull out you know a couple of key components that uh, Jessica did mention. And this is just to identify the funding. There is still plenty of um, influential period of design uh, discovery. So if there are concerns, there's still the opportunity to, to voice those concerns and have that be um, addressed or evaluated into the design, the final design options. Uh, Vice Mayor Shipley, thank you both. Is there anyone else who has questions on this tip amendment? Um, let's, is there any uh, public comment uh, there in, in the, nope, nobody there in person. Uh, do you see anyone online who's asking to speak? I'm getting the negative response from staff. Um, so I would look for uh, any motions to um, accept or approve the fourth tip amendment. Sorry, I don't have my. Mayor Fingled, I would move to approve the 2021-2024 tip amendment number four. Commissioner Kelly, second. I have a motion and a second. Could uh, Jessica or Ashley call the roll for me? Yeah, Jessica Morton, your transportation planning manager by last name in alphabetical order, Carter. Yes. Finkeldye? Yes. Kelly? Yes. Messina? Yes. Shanklin? Yes. Shipley? Yes. Okay, motion carries six to zero. Thank you again. Um, so I think we can move on to the second item, which is the federal functional classification map revision. And I think Ashley is um, going to present us on that one as well. Yes, thank you. I'm Ashley Breyers, transportation planner. All right. I thought I would start off by showing the map so you can see it and then I would go to this other page so we could talk about a little about what this is. So this is the federal functional classification map and this is something that we're required to have and it's different from these other maps, the major thoroughfares map that is used for development purposes in the city of Lawrence and the Douglas County access management map. So this is the federal functional classification map that has to do with um, defining the different roles of the roads and funding for the county. And so we are doing this amendment because uh, the county asked us to evaluate how we had assigned some of the categories. And so like some of them here, this and how, how you interpret this map is the thinner line is the current classification. The wider line behind it is what the proposed change is. So if we look at 26, the thin line is yellow. So it's currently a minor collector and the line behind it is gray. And so the proposed amendment or revision, I guess, uh, is to change it to a local street. So then uh, it would no longer be considered part of this federal functional classification map because it would just go to be a, a local street. And so we went through all the different ones that the county requested 
and also talked with the city of Lawrence and added in a couple of new roads over here. Um, and these are future, that's why they're kind of dotted, um, roads. And there are certain principles with this where you can't have a higher functional class classification road dump into a lower classification road because the higher classification would, will have more vehicles. And so it wouldn't really make sense to have a road with lots of cars go into a road that's not built to handle that many cars. So that's part of what this is, is balancing all of that. And then there was a discussion with KDOT about these changes because they do impact KDOT as well. And this proposed map that you have in front of you, and I'll show the list of all the changes here, uh, reflects what the county, the city of Lawrence, and KDOT agreed to thinking would be a good functional classification map for Douglas County. So there's 30 changes. And then the Federal Highway System or Federal Highway Administration has recommendations for how the different roads should be, should make up your classification uh, system. And so like over here, the FHWA ideal for the percentage of interstate is one to 3%. So we fall into that. Uh, the only ones where we're slightly off is this other freeway and expressway. We're over and then other principal and arterial were under. But that's where we were last time. So this amendment didn't make any changes to that specific number and or those roads at all. So we feel like we're in a good spot that way. And kind of interesting to see how our different roads are classified and how they compare to the rest of the system. I can go back to this map. Does anybody have any questions? Vice Mayor Shibley, so many. <laughs> um, so I, I'm, I, I was having a little bit of a hard time reading the map with the colors over the colors. So mm -hmm. can you help me? It looks like on the map there's a change to 19th Street, but then I'm not sure I quite find that in the list. Can you just help me make sure I understand this purple and green that you're indicating? Make sure mm -hmm. I understand it. 19th Street. So we don't have any wider um, under 19th Street. Which which part were you looking at that you thought was being changed? You have it. You have it in green and purple. So you're telling me that it's staying oh. the same. That's what it is. Yeah, that's what it is. So it's green until Haskell, and then it goes from purple from Haskell to O'Connell. And. Um, you know, 19th Street has been something that its classification has been called into question in some other conversations. Can you help me understand that the appropriateness of its changing from larger to smaller, especially since that's kind of what you were talking about sure. here a minute ago? Yeah. yeah. Ashley, can you pull up the list that shows the difference between all the different functional class classification maps? Yeah, Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. So the conversation locally that's been had around 19th Street was 
more in relationship to the classifications that you'll find on the Lawrence Major Thoroughfares map. That is the classification that's tied to the Land Development Code, which is tied to the City of Lawrence street design standards. So that's the one that matters in terms of how something gets developed and what scale. The federal functional class is looking at something different. It's not, it has some general uh usage understanding uh, nationally about what happens in regard to that in relationship to like when we get to county borders, the classification needs to be the same on each side of the county border, right? Like you, again, that the network can't drop, but really all that funct federal functional class means in terms of to the city for in relation to ship, whatever classifications are on the network is one, everything a collect in a collector and above is eligible for federal funding. Secondly, that anything that's a principal arterial is considered part of the national highway system and is included as part of the performance measure reporting as part of the NHS. And it has additional requirements for data collection related to perform federally required performance measures. So one of the reasons you'd probably see that we are lower on our percentage of streets require as classified as principal principal arterial is at some point when we made a determination that they're one still eligible for funding but not required to report all of the performance condition data that's required by nhs we downgraded stuff because in the network it's in it's not tied to design standards in the design code they're a separate classification so the classification change on in on this map is more about just kind of in general how we believe they function. There's a similar break, um, if I recall correctly, if we would look at major thoroughfares, there's a similar break in classification um, on 19th Street on that map as well. It may not be all of exactly the same classifications, um, but there is a change in use once the orientation and the and based on traffic and orientation that happened is that we amended as part of the last transportation plan update. I remember having conversations about that. Um, and thank you, Ashley, she's gonna pull that up to show you similarly on this map, um, you can see 19th Street um, is a minor arterial to Haskell where it connects into Haskell and then it becomes a collector. So again, you can't have a higher classification dumping on a lower classification. So you end that at Haskell, assuming that some of your traffic dumps off at Haskell from 19th Street um, before it would go into the neighborhood or a lower classification um, of the collector level street. Hope, did that answer your question? Vice Mayor Shipley, probably. Okay. <laughs> um, so maybe as I'll, uh, maybe another question that will be maybe very similar since we were also just talking about Wakarusa a little bit. Um, some of the justification for um, KDOT needing to link Wakarusa where it is to the South Lawrence traffic way is that it's a primary arterial. But I see here there's sort of some interesting purple. Um, interruptions can you maybe talk to me a little bit about that and and um what that means locally yeah what project number is that 15 just a second 
Yeah, so that future drive extension right now, um, the 2017 classification had the future Wakarusa Drive extension from K10 to North 1200 Road as a future minor arterial. And the proposed classification for what we're proposing for the 2021 classification is a future major collector. So that roadway is not constructed, but we continue because Wakarusa to the north has been classified as a collector. It continues that classification um, down to the south. Some of the classifications in urban areas, so within the city limits and within the county, also are a little bit different on the functional classification map. And so some like in most other counties, there is no use of the, if I misspeak, there's no use of the, is it minor arterial? Yeah. Uh, collector, the major collector. Major collector. So the mostly once you get to the county, they use the, the minor collector designation. And so we were one of only a few counties that had used a higher level designation on some of those uh, streets. And so we had had that conversation also in terms of thinking about how all those connect together. So if at the county line, it was one, if it, if it was at the county line, something higher and thinking about how it dumps in, those are some of those things. As far as this project is concerned though, this is really about funding eligibility and making the connection. So again, these are concept lines. So You've seen throughout KDOT's EIS process, particularly with that interchange and connection, some different alignments that aren't just a straight line. There's been some uh, variation within that corridor to make that connection. It represents more of a connection. Um, and at what level kind of in the planned network that connection would be. Um, and you can see like in the previous one, we removed the castle connection as part of that conversation based on changes that have happened since and, and been agreed to and developed over time in that process um, based on the previous process. So typically, and we, I guess we didn't uh, preface this in this conversation, besides the fact that we had requests from local project sponsors, both the county and the city to do this amendment. We traditionally do this amendment every five years. Um, we have consistently kind of done it um, before we engage and embark on a long range transportation plan update, which we're going to be beginning. Um, and so the reason why we've done it before and as a separate process is because when we do the long range planning process, we will be having conversations with the community about updating the major thoroughfares map. And it would be really confusing, and you can tell already, like as we're describing the function of these maps that use the same terminology, but are for different purposes, that we would not want to go out and have to have this conversation where we're updating both at the same time, um, because that would be really chaotic, especially because there are similar roadways literally named different things based on what the function of the map is to call those things. Um, and so when we have the conversation with the community, because what matters um, locally is how that's tied to design and access management, and all of that is tied to the Lawrence Major Thoroughfares map. And so, in that conversation, that's how that's recognized in our long range plan. And so when we're talking about land use and transportation and they're tied together in those design elements, we're doing that in the community conversation in relationship to the major thoroughfares map. 
Uh, Vice Mayor Shipley, real quick, I think a couple commissioners might need to leave to go to another, um, is it 3.30, did some people need to go to a, um, I do have a couple more questions. If they're forced to go, are we still safe? You need four. So if those two need to depart, they they can, and we had six, so we'll still have four. Yeah, I need to drop off here in a minute. Okay. Okay, Vice Mayor Shipley, thank you. I'm sorry I had so many questions. Um, uh, but I'll carry on with my next question. So I'm glad that we I brought Wakarusa up because it is something I've had a concern about specifically because of my research on this 27th Street SLT thing. So as you point out, that's an imaginary road right now. So you would like me now to vote on the classification of a road that doesn't exist and may not exist for 10 years. And I'm not even honest to goodness sure I believe in the moment at the of the premise of that imaginary road. Um, and it definitely won't go in a straight line. It's been made clear that it will be a um, a road that will be made to avoid a river. So um, help me uh, feel like I'm not voting uh, to create a premise um, for a design or that I'm not going to attract uh, funding for a project this community knows nothing about and may not agree with. Yeah, Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. So this line really represents a network concept. Um, and if from the consistency of our previously adopted long range transportation plan, when we do our travel demand modeling, we have the opportunity to, we look at base year. So we have the opportunity to feed origins and destinations into trip making that's tied back to employment, whether that's retail or non-retail employment to uh, use the network that we built. So in the existing conditions, one, there would be no connection in that network. Um, and we use that scenario to load the network with what we believe to be projected traffic volumes over a time period um, to understand what we think is going to happen to our transportation network. In our next travel demand model process, we anticipate to do that with a transit component built in. We're hoping to get that option as our model. One of the things that does is tell us about travel demand, right? So what's the demand look like? Well, if we think the demand is gonna look like what it's always looked like and we're only looking at cars, then there's no mode split in that model. Like how do other things impact whether or not people choose to drive a car as opposed to another mode to get there because the car is the main modeled mode that we're looking at or we have traditionally looked at in our region. So in our scenarios, of our plan, we would add that segment in, depending on how we determine to do our scenarios in this situation, that connection would have been one of the many scenarios that we ran in the last in the last model concept. And we would understand how adding that connection shifts travel trip choices along different segments of the network. And this is similar. The KDOT is doing these same processes when they do EISs to understand how the placement of their road is going to be impacted based on usage and other decisions, just like tolling and other things, depending on what they're studying in that process. And so the consistency of both the plan has called for a connection to occur at this location and that then we would determine the design of that through the local design process in this. 
whatever this is called in here, and it, regard, regardless if it is a minor arterial or a major collector, the connection is being shown as a future roadway. That's a concept connection. Those roads don't always get built just like what all the dashed lines, those are like, we intend there to be a connection here. It's consistent with our plans to have a connection here. Now that's contingent on agreeing to a design that gets moved forward in an appropriate manner through an appropriate process and identifying the appropriate level of funding to build the elements that are required for that component. Here, Ashley is showing you another example of where we have a proposed um, future connection where those exist in the map. On this black is showing that this is being removed. So we showed it as a future connection, but we've decided we don't need it. So now we're taking yeah. it off. So this is this is an example where we've had this conversation. Now we said, oh, at one point we said, oh, we have this connection here. Well, since we updated this map the last time, K10 is now open, The the this section of K10 and the East Lake. And now we're showing, is that really realistic? We didn't build that with that project. We're saying this is unlikely to be constructed. We have the ability to remove it. Based on all of our current consistent plans at this time, we believe that it's consistent with our plans that Wakarusa will be a connection to the South. So that's what this is showing. So, um, thank you, Vice Mayor Shipley. Um, again, I want to make sure, you know, there are lots of these little steps that lead up to the building of what right now looks on KDOT maps to be a ro another road to nowhere. Um, uh, I don't want to be another link in that chain. So, on the one hand, I don't want to vote no to something that is sort of matter of fact and clearly not an unusual process, but there is at least one road on here. I know for a fact, I don't see the necessity of and isn't real at this time. So I just want to make sure, um, you know, I don't normally, I, I can't think of any situations where I normally vote yes to something. I know there's something on it um, that is unclear or in this case, not even real. So I'm, I'm, I just need to need to make that connection so that I can, I can vote appropriately here. If I hope I'm making my myself clear. Yes, I think Jessica Moringer, transportation planning manager. I guess this would be consistent with our plans to say that the plan for the roadway classification would have these types of connections in these places based on our current knowledge at this point in time. It keeps it consistent with what all of our planning documents are calling for and the processes we were work we are working in good faith with our planning partners to develop. Okay, thank you. Vice Mayor Shibley, are there any other questions? And I don't think we've done public comment here, although I'm getting a little well, is there any uh, public comment there in, in the no? Looks like no. Uh, is there anybody online who would like to make comments on this? I'm not seeing anything. Uh, is there any further conversation commissioners would like? Is there anybody who wants to help me? <laughs> uh, 
I'm not seeing anything. Um, maybe uh, Commissioner Shanklin, I know sometimes you have a, a blippy connection, but I, I do enjoy to hear from you often on different subjects. Do you understand what I'm what I'm getting at here? Do you think I'm overthinking it? Um, just if you don't mind to give me your opinion. <laughs> I, I think I understand where you're coming from. I don't think you're overthinking it. I'm not sure I share the same uh, conclusions that you would draw, but I, I really don't have any further comment on that. Vice Mayor Shibley, Sorry. I appreciate you. I'm sorry that uh, Commissioner Kelly had to leave. Maybe he avoided the question on purpose. <laughs> so I have talked to him about this before. Um, so I guess, um, unless, you know, I, uh, Commissioner Carter, I also value your opinion. Do you have anything that you think? Uh, uh, yeah, um, David Carter, uh, Planning Commissioner. Um, I was going to ask the question about how, whether these um, designations were made and changed based on any formal metrics on actual, you know, surveys of traffic volumes and things like that. Uh, it's my impression that it's not, that it's basically, you know, expert, uh, expert judgment based on, you know, observed conditions uh, and, and, and uh, capacities of, of the uh, roadways. But uh, since you've, uh, since you've asked uh, uh, Vice Mayor Shipley, I'll, I'll go ahead and, uh, pose that question formally is that uh, could um, could either you know uh, put, well anybody else answer that sure. question for me. Jessica Moringer, Transportation Planning Manager. There are some general guidelines about classification. Oftentimes if you look at the federal guidelines they have a pretty per, they have a generally prescriptive book just like they have the ideals for how they would divide up the classifications in the network. Oftentimes though we find um, one we've we're classifying streets that are of all different eras. And so they have very different, they've been built with very different design standards and right-of-ways over time. So sometimes often things function both in real life and in our model, not how we expect, um, where something is way over-designed and just because you have classified it as that, it is not functioning as that. So a good example might be Castled Drive where the roadway is built for a way higher capacity than the volumes of traffic that road sees. Another example, and these, these two just come to my mind very quickly because when we do our travel demand model, these are the roads where we have the most trouble validating the existing conditions to what should be the operational conditions. Um, and the other one is 19th Street, particularly from Iowa to Massachusetts. Um, the model does not flow trips there. It doesn't put trips on that road. Like, like it gets higher trips than what the model shows us. And Castle is the opposite, is the, is also the same. It feeds a lot of trips on the, on the road where we don't see them in real life in terms of trip choices people are making. And there's those anomalies when we're trying to validate the model. Um, and so even though there is that guidance, um, there is also just a lot of familiarity, I think, in understanding how those networks come together. And there's also that understanding that it makes it a lot harder as you start to say, here's my really high level network, interstates and freeways. Okay, they're across the network. Then you add on the next classification. And remember, each classification has to be a closed classification. You can't dead end anything where something at a higher classification dumps into a lower classification. So in some of these streets, the function of what a street may function as may fall into a different range, but you, you have these other rules that you also can't violate. So 
it's a balancing act of classifications. More historically in federal regulation, there used to be some other regulations that were tied to different funding pots of money based on some of these classifications. Those do not exist any longer. And so this federal um, functional class serves different purpose today that has evolved over time than it did once. And also now that the um, major thoroughfares um, map has been really strongly tied into transportation 2040 and our future plans. And that gets updated as part of that process. And that has been the one locally that's tied to the land development code. There's these two separate parallel processes happening where the design is really tied to that classification because the standards where we're talking about speed and volume and width are all tied to the standards that in our code are tied to the classifications on that map. Very good. Thank you very much. So, Vice Mayor Shibley, so Commissioner Carter, does that give you more confidence that this wouldn't result in some unintended consequence in terms of planning for your part as your role as a planning commissioner? Um, David Carter, planning commissioner, it, it doesn't give me any particular concern. It's just, it's good to understand the methodology. Um, I guess one, one, other question I would have returning to the functional classification, you know, current versus proposed. Um, I'm curious, you know, aside from just offering kind of a reality check, do the proposed percentages have any kind of normative effect on, on your judgment of how you classify things? Is there pressure more or less to conform to the percentages that are proposed, uh, you know, at the federal level? Jessica Morton, your transportation planning manager. So we often do the work where we think we would classify stuff following the rules related to closing the network first. Um, and then we run this analysis at the end for red flags. So this is really for us to go back and validate to understand where are we scoring in relationship to where the feds think we should be. The reality that um, we are we're already over and under in those few categories we're not going to downgrade freeways or expressways i mean that's just how it is built in our region so that is something where we're probably always we're never going to be within their range right so we would never go to try to change that and the principal arteries really probably if we would look back historically that change was made in relationship to a different regulation that we were trying to understand how that was going to impact our ability to do work um and that got downgraded. So we will probably never go back and try to raise the classification of those just to meet a threshold. So no, um, but KDOT is also one of our partners in this process and they understand and see this chart and they're also looking for red flags. Like, did you classify too many? They really, what I think they want to prevent is, you know, if we know everything in the urban areas collector and above is eligible for fund federal funding, they don't want to see you have 100% of your network in a collector and above. They want to see that there's a balance and network that you have enough local streets, collector streets, arterial streets in a classification that serves their intent and function for how road hierarchy should work. Thank you, uh, David Carter, Planning Commissioner. That was exact. That was going to be exactly my next question. So thank you for answering it before I post it. Okay, I'm, I, I have no further questions. Thanks. Vice Mayor Shipley, is there any other? Um concerns or Matt, do you have anything you'd like to add? Just in case you have. Yeah, Matt Messina, KDOT. Um, 
you know, I'm not shy to state that when this was proposed to CADA, it's not uh, to Allison Smith and myself. Um, it's a different area of our team that handles this, that knows all the modelings and the formulas and the rules that apply to these transitions. So they chimed in and um, I believe reached a understanding of what's being presented today. So, you know, we, we coordinated together to get to what is being presented right now. Thank you, Vice Mayor Shipley. Um, if there's no other comments, um, I guess I would um, entertain any motions. I think it's just the four of us. <laughs> it's gonna have to be one of us. So uh, David Carter, Planning Commissioner, I, I'll, I'll, this is my first motion in this group, so I may get the, the wording wrong, but um, I would uh, move to approve the federal functional classification map as presented, or map revisions as presented in the staff report. Commissioner Shanklin? Uh, I think I'll he's, he's offering a second, thank you. Um, uh, so, Jessica, could you do a roll call for us? Yes. In alphabetical order by last name with who's remaining, Carter? Yes. Messina? Yes. Shanklin? Yes. And Shipley? Yes. I hope the slow list of my yes registers okay. as something. <laughs> okay. Motion carries four to zero. Thank you again, Jessica. Um, Vice Mayor Shipley, uh, this leads us to quick updates, which I believe will be Jessica. Yeah, Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. We lost a few of you, but we'll try to keep this pretty sweet. We have a lot of stuff we've included this month and quick updates. Um, the things I would probably highlight your attention to, um, the greatest is we have two, uh, both one and two, the transit route redesign has proposed concepts out for public comment right now and has a survey on Lawrence Listens, as well as our Lawrence pedestrian planning work. The survey is out. We're working um, in some smaller ways in Baldwin City and Eudora also um, on pedestrian planning work. Um, and so that also has a survey out. We have extensive tabling. We are coordinating to attend a variety of community events um, and places where people are. Um, the list is probably 15 locations at this point with transit. Um, we were out at the library for a few hours this morning. Ashley went to Kiwanis. We're going to be at Just Food and at Sports Pavilion and at RPG for Trivia Night. And we have we have found every well, farmer's market, every physical place we can possibly try to be where people are um, during this time to share um, what we're doing in this process and to solicit some input from the community in regards to those process. We have out for formal public comment period, our work plan for next year um, and uh, our safety target setting, which will bring, 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 be bringing back to you for 2022. We've included also for item five and six, the KDOT monthly update, the link to their uh, update on the website and the September 7th attack minutes for those of you that are interested to see uh, what the tech conversation uh, contains of our technical advisory committee. I'd be happy to entertain any question or conversation that you may have about any of those items.
David Carter, Planning Commissioner. Um, on item number one, I've I've looked at that online and I found it, uh, it, it kind of blew my mind a little bit. The whole microtransit concept, um, and I'm just curious as someone who somehow managed not to be aware of this until looking at the survey. I'm curious what kind of um, sort of public outreach efforts are going on to educate the public about this, you know, in advance or while they're being asked to offer their opinion. Yeah, Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. So this process has been going on for the majority of the year for the transit route redesign. And there have been at least two different surveys, um, one as part of this process and one as a part of a previous process to identify some values around trade-off questions for the community before it got to the part of the conversation around um, specific route design um, in terms of values when, where, where people were asked. And so those route designs designs were developed in partnership with the steering committee that is guiding that work. Um, a community identified steering committee was a lot of diverse representation. Um, and so these those route proposals kind of offer some different concepts to people. And you're right, it does require you, unlike most, and the first engagement was a lot easier. Anybody could take it. It doesn't require you to invest a lot of time in learning about what's being proposed. This one requires a little more engagement and they're aware of that. Um, and so in terms of numbers, I think they wouldn't expect maybe to just see as many responses, um, but really trying to be intentional to represent a diverse range of perspectives when they get engagement back. And I would anticipate that much of the engagement comes from that after people see them and table at one of their open houses or at any of their tabling events um, where they are actually having face-to-face -face conversations with people um, who ride transit and, and who don't ride transit about what the reality of that might mean for trip making. We stood by them at the table today. I did at the library and I heard a lot of people ask those similar questions. How does this work? How does it work in relation to this? And, and and just as much as they can answer some of those questions in general, there are still a lot of operational decisions that impact how that would work. So in two of the proposals they have just quickly, for example, one is citywide microtransit, where based on your trip distance, it really is supposed to feed you into fixed routes, but based on your trip distance, it increases in price. The other one is zone-based where it feeds you into routes within that zone, but the pricing and then there is no option to go outside of that zone for trip making, you know, for more on-demand rides. And the purpose of that is one, to not compete against fixed route, but to support fixed route in terms of access to fixed route in a higher way. And also, um, you know, to bring more access to people who maybe aren't in a close enough proximity to fix to higher frequency fixed route um, and to support that in a way, but then also expand trips that are more on demand for maybe shorter trips, right? A lot of shorter trips so you can have pro productivity of vehicles. The cost of a driver costs you the same, whether it's on fixed route or micro transit. So how do you increase productivity in trip making? And so a lot of those considerations in terms of when would micro transit be eligible, even within those scenarios, is it all hours of the day? Is it certain hours of the day? Is it What's the rule about how far you can take trips and all of that? Those are all still operate. They're just throwing out some really high level concepts to start hearing how people would ask questions and what would matter to people. Um, and we've heard kind of in some engagement already, 
at land last night where um, people were saying, well, this might work for me if it was under this, under this circumstance or this situation. And I think those are the types of things they'll need to understand as they craft the policy to try to make something work because a lot of communities are using microtransit in very different ways. Mm-hmm. And minus the technology, we already have microtransit in a couple ways kind of in this community. One is the Safe Ride program in terms of eligibility for KU students. It operates more on a demand response um, type process for microtransit, like microtransit, but the eligibility is KU students only in a certain time period of day. So those would be some conditions that could kind of what maybe we're kind of used to that might look like what this could look like. Um, The other example is Nightline. It absent of the technology because it's still done schedule a ride with a manifest and not as adaptive. If we implemented technology with Nightline, it could serve as microtransit as it's defined. And that might be something you're already from more familiar with in our community that looks like what is kind of being proposed. It's an interesting concept. Thanks, uh, David Carter, Planning Commissioner. I was really impressed with the creativity of it. It was my level of surprise. I was projecting on other folks and wondering sort of uh, how much effort it would take for people to kind of come up to speed with it. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with, with the effort and really interested in hearing what you discover. And I think it's different for everyone, just more into transportation planning manager. The thing I've experienced as I just listened to them, uh, this transit staff talk to people is it's very conditional on everyone's personal experience. Here's the trips I make and how would that work for me? And so even still, if you were having, you know, you're proposing some large concepts, everybody really wants to get into the minutia of it. And so I think um, some of that feedback is going to be really valuable in solidifying some things as they make a final recommended proposal about what solutions they think can work in Lawrence. Super, thank you. Vice Mayor Shipley, any other questions on um, these items? I'm not sure this is a public comment item, but is there anyone around (laughs) anyway? Oh, there's, wait, there's a person. There is, but he's a city staff member. Okay. He's not here to give. He's not here to give comment. Sorry, I got so excited. Um, <laughs> um, uh, is there any other business? That's our next item. Any other business that any commissioners have, or anyone else want to make any comments? Seeing none, um, I do want to remind everyone our next meeting is November eighteenth. Uh, unless otherwise indicated uh, by staff. Um, and my other recollection is that we don't need a motion to go home. Correct. And, I, and we will see you November 18th to approve, to talk about safety targets and UPWP. And then maybe we won't need a December meeting. Oh, okay. Very good. Good to know. Thank you, Jessica and Ashley. Uh, Ashley, stay safe and healthy. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Bye. Recording stopped. Thanks.